all of us here at Troy Church in Troy, Alabama. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. We are a family in Jesus that aims to love God, love one another, and love the world. If you would like more information on who we are, what we believe, or how to get involved, please visit us at troychurch.tv or email us at info, I-N-F-O, at troychurch.tv. Good patience there to light that candle. Good job, Matt and Angie. If you don't know those guys, those are um, really cool people in our church. They do a lot for our church. And so if you don't know, that, know them, Matt and Angie Walker, um, it's, it's a pleasure to get to know them, get to spend time with them. So take some time to do that. But if you haven't already, would you turn to the book of Luke, uh, the book of Luke, chapter 2. The, most of the text that we have will be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. But if you do, if you turn there, and while you turn there, I want you to take a second, and I want you to think about a time in your life or something in your life that you have waited for, something that you knew was coming or at least ho- hoped was coming and that you waited for. Maybe it was a new job. Maybe it was a new house. Maybe it was a new member of the family. That was the case for us this year. Um, we, we welcomed our, our first little girl into the world, Harper. And uh, it seems like we spent a lot of time waiting for Harper to be born. We spent a lot of time waiting and, and waiting for that to happen. And it seems like those nine months went by like the longest nine months ever, like, especially that last month. We're like, we're taking long walks in the middle of summer to try to like help this thing happen quicker. Ashley's walking on a curb off sideways, like just doing everything we can to make uh, this happen because we're, we're being impatient, but, but we're waiting, and it seems like a really long time. Uh, and then, of course, the five months since then, I felt like I've blinked my eye, and here we are five months later. But in those nine months, because we knew that she was coming, because we uh, knew that she was going to be arriving, we began to prepare for that. We began to act in certain ways, knowing that was true, knowing that was happening. We began to uh, prepare a nursery. We began to buy things that she needed. We began to, to be a part of showers that people threw for us so that we could get other things that we needed. Uh, and then we began to tell people about, about her. And we began to, to, to proclaim like, this awesome news that she, was, that she was coming, that we were excited. That, to me, was one of the best parts uh, of that early pregnancy was getting to, to, to share that news with people. And so we, in our waiting, because we really believed that she was coming... We did these things. We prepared and acted in a way that would, that would show that. Like, if we didn't really think it was happening, we wouldn't have done any of those things. But because we like, knew that was happening, because we believed that that was coming, we prepared in that way. And that's the reality for most things that we wait for, right? Like the house or the new job. Um, we, would, we would prepare for those things. In a new job, like, we would get our resume ready. We would, we would think about interview questions in our head. For a new house, we would begin to save money for a down payment. We'd begin to budget and plan, like, there are things that we would do when we believe that something's going to happen that, that influence the way that we act. Like we, we do certain things. And as we do, like as we start acting, then it becomes apparent that we believe that thing is happening. And so as we approach this passage this morning, as we think about the topic of faith, I want us to consider that, that much like when we hope for something to happen, like a house or a, or a child or, or, a, or a new job, like much like that, when we have genuine faith, we are then led by that faith. We're then led by that faith to act in certain ways. And that's what we're really going to see 
in some of these people that we see in this passage. Uh, there's kind of three different sets of, of people. There's Joseph and Mary. We'll treat them as a single unit. So Joseph and Mary. Then we're going to see Anna, and we're going to see Simeon. And in each of these people, we see a unique picture of their faith and then what their faith led them to do. And so the first thing that we're going to see, we're going to see this through Joseph and Mary, is that faith leads us to obedience. That faith leads us to obedience. So notice in this passage that, that was read to you this morning, we see that Joseph and Mary, they're bringing Jesus to the temple. And what they're doing in doing so, they're, they're following the law. They're following the Old Testament law that God had given them. So they're being obedient to God's word. They're following God. And what this, this law tells them is how they are to interact with, with people, with sin, like, and with this process of, of bringing a new baby into the world, there's these things that they're supposed to do. And, and the two purposes that we see are fulfilled like by them going to the temple is one of them is to make Mary ceremonially clean, like post-childbirth. The Old Testament law has a lot to say about cleanliness, especially when it comes to blood. And so what we see is that this process is something that she would do to become ceremonially clean again. Like not spiritually clean, that's important to know, but, but ceremonially clean. And the second thing they do is they bring Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. We, we do a, something similar to that when we have babies in churches today. We do like a, a baby dedication. We call here's a parent baby dedication. And we're going to do that hopefully soon in the next couple months. We have lots of new, new, uh, new babies here, and, and we'll hope to do that and see what that looks like. But we see Mary, they do this as a way of following the law by being obedient to God. And I think if they really understood who this baby was, like I think they had an idea, but if they really knew the fullness of, of who Jesus was, they would have really chuckled at the idea of bringing him to the Lord, right, to present him to the Lord. Like, he is God in the flesh, and we're going to present him to the Lord. And, and so it's a really, really cool picture that we see. What we see is they're being obedient to what God had called them to do. They're being obedient to God's word. And you see, what we see about their faith is that it led them to obedience. Like because they believed what God said about Jesus, they then would be inclined to believe other things that God had said in his word. They would believe that what God had said in his, in his law was to be followed and was good. And so they obey it. And think about this. They're literally holding Jesus. Like they're holding who's going to be like the salvation of the world, of who's going to be like the fulfillment of the law. And so they very easily could have said, I got Jesus I got, I got, like, grace in flesh right here. Why do I have to do these other things? Like, why would I even bother doing that? But I have Jesus right here. But their obedience in this moment, their faith doesn't let their obedience become lax. Their faith, like, they're literally holding Jesus in their arms, holding salvation in their arms. It doesn't lead them to, to then turn further from God, but it leads them in obedience to God. You know, their faith, their believing what was said about Jesus is what spurred them to this Obedience. You see, there is a temptation that we, in, in light of Jesus' coming, that we, in light of the grace that Jesus would bring, that we would then become lax, that we would become comfortable with sin, that we would embrace sin. And Paul warns us about this kind of thinking to where we say, oh, there's all this grace, why can't we just keep on sinning? And Paul says to someone, like, in a hypothetical situation, he says, so what, should we sin so that grace would abound more? And he says, by no means. He's like, whatever you do, don't do that. Don't let your understanding of grace become an excuse to sin. But in Mary and Joseph, we see an awesome example of real faith that leads to obedience. And genuine faith that does that. If we take God at his word, and we, and we trust what God says about grace, like, we're going to see a lot about grace, and we 
like have to have grace. We're dependent on grace 100%. Like that, that is the, like the, one of the chief principles of our faith is that we would lean on grace. But at the same time, when we, when we read God's word and we truly understand it, we also see where God would lead us and how to, how to walk in faith, how to, how, to, how to live. And he would show us like the better way to live, the better like, life to live. And that would be a life that follows him in faith, that seeks after him. And we would follow in his leading. We would really miss the point of Jesus' coming, of, of Advent, if we stayed in sin. Like if we saw Jesus coming and we said, oh, there's just all this grace, let's just stay in sin, we would really miss the point of what Scripture tells us Jesus came to do. Romans 8, chapter 2, verse, Romans 8, chapter, Romans 8, verse 2 through 5 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So that's, that's Advent, that's Jesus' coming. It says, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And we see lots of other scripture that talks about how we, we once were a slave to sin, but now we're a slave to, to righteousness because of what Jesus has done in us. And so as we approach Jesus through Advent, as we think about his coming here and what his coming means for us, would, would we let our faith and and our faith that looks at Jesus and marvels at his beauty and marvels at his grace, would we let that spur us towards obedience? Would we let that drive us towards knowing God better, towards loving people, like towards being a picture of Christ in our community? Things that we'll talk about like in our strategy, as you might have been here, this, if, you've been, if you were here this morning, that you would have seen us talk about like things about our like, culture and our strategy that we would do to, to be a light into our world. Would it be like Joseph and Mary, who's like literally holding the Son of God, who's holding this perfect like, embodiment of grace and still strive for holiness, still long for it? So the first thing that we see is that genuine faith and, and faith would lead us to obedience. The second thing that we see, not necessarily in order of this passage, but kind of in order as we're going to go through, is that um, is in Anna, we're going to see that faith would lead us to worship and proclaim. Faith would lead us to worship and proclaim. I want you to read again verse 36 through 38 with me. Verse 36 through 38 of chapter 2. It says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So the way I read this, we see this, this, this woman, Anna, who is an Old Testament type prophetess. And she was married at one point, assumingly young. And seven years after she was married, her husband dies. And then she remains a widow until she's 84 years old. So some 60 plus years or so, she remains a widow, and we see that she basically, and maybe even literally, lived in the temple. Like she lived there. She is a picture of, of an Old Testament type of faith. Like she is a picture of that. It says that she worshipped and fasted and prayed all day and all night, all the time. Like this woman was a, a great example of faith. And she approaches the temple, the place where Jesus now is, the place they brought Jesus to, and she comes worshipping and proclaiming. She says, God, she says, it says that she gave thanks 
That's worship, and it says, and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. That's proclaiming. You see, she does these two things. He's worshiping and proclaiming. Now, what exactly she knows about Jesus is unsaid. But as she approaches this place that, she, that, that Jesus is in, she gives thanks to God and she speaks of him. And whether she knows it or not, the, the redemption that she speaks of for Israel, she's speaking about Jesus. She's talking about this few days old baby. And he is the redemption of Jerusalem. So either she's operating out of an Old Testament faith in a general Messiah, or she knows through the Spirit, like we're going to see in Simeon, that she knows something about this little boy Jesus. And either way, as she operates out of this faith, as she operates out of this faith, she worships God, and then she speaks about God. She worships God, and then she speaks about God. She worships and proclaims. So as we look to Jesus' coming, as we approach Christmas this year, as we walk through Advent, would we also be drawn to do both of these things? To worship and proclaim. And worship for some, we'll start with worship. Worship for some feels really natural this time of year. Like it's in a really exciting time of year for some. Like it's a lot of joy. Like in the Christmas season, there, there's family around. There's fun. There's the reminder about Jesus that would, that would spur us to worship him. And for some people, this season would, would, enlighten, like would open that up, would energize that. But for some others, Christmas is a hard time. For some people, Christmas isn't so easy or so fun. It may bring a lot of pain, a lot of like, reminders of, of recent loss or maybe not so recent loss. Some people might be battling depression. Others like stress at work as the, as the work year would end. And any other hard thing that's going on that just makes this time of year especially hard. And then in light of the overwhelming joy that other people seem to, seem to feel this time of year, that might be like just overwhelming with distress. And for both groups, like for those who, who are spurred and energized by Christmas and for those who, who would have a hard time during this season, and especially that second group, I think Anna would look to you and she would say, I get it, like I know it, I am with you, like I feel you. Anna lost her husband after only seven years and then remained a widow for like we said some 60 plus years or more, Right? So she, of all people, had every reason to turn away from God, to turn inward, to be filled with, with bitterness and anger. But her response to God through faith is to worship God, to worship God. And so without ignoring the difficulty that we've talked about that, that some may experience during this time, I, I would hope that as you were hurting, that you would hurt like Anna did. Like Anna, of all people, would have been lonely and sad for maybe a lot of her life. But what she did is she, she turned that towards God in a worshipful way. So I pray that we, would, that we would hurt like that when we are hurting, in a way that turns towards God, that embraces him, that longs for him, that waits for him, that worships him. Would we hurt like that? And then would our worship of God, like for both groups, would our worship of God then turn into proclamation, into us talking of God? That's what Anna and her faith and her, and her waiting, like as she's waiting for the redemption of Israel, that's what we see in both Anna and Simeon is this, this, this context of waiting for something to be fulfilled. And in, in her waiting, that's what she does. She worships and she proclaims. It says that she told all the people of him who would bring redemption to Israel. And again, whether she knows it or not, what she's talking about is the gospel of Jesus. Like that's what she's sharing 
as she sees this baby here in the temple. Her faith leads her not only to worship, but also to proclaim, like to speak outwardly. And would our faith do the same? Like would our faith lead us to do that as well? And again, if we genuinely believe what we say we do, like if we believe what we say we believe about God's word, then we trust that Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with the Father, right? And so then our response then would be that we would want others to know that and believe that. And as we celebrate Advent, would we do so with this heart? Like this, this heart that would, one, worship God. That's this upward thing that we do, that we would worship God upwardly. But then would we also like, proclaim God outwardly? Uh, in our covenant member meeting this morning, we talked about our, our strategy, and it's, it's love God, love one another, and love the world. And, and that, what we see in Anna, is the first and the third thing there. Loving God, like we, would, we, would, we would hope that you would be actively like engaging in a relationship with God through his word and through prayer. Like we would hope that you would also get help with that, that you would use resources with that, that you would love God in that way. But then also, that third thing, as we love the world, that you would get involved, that you would get engaged in some of our either local missions projects or find ways to get involved with our missions. Like would we love God and do that upwardly, but also outwardly where we proclaim who he is to the world and Christmas is a good time to do that and so we've seen that faith would lead us to obedience faith would lead us to worship and proclaim and then lastly from Simeon I want us to see that faith would lead us to eagerly wait faith would lead us to eagerly wait so Simeon just like Anna he's this man this Old Testament like type waiting holy like faithful man who saw Jesus and because of the Spirit, knew who this child was. Knew that he was the Messiah, that all the Old Testament law, all the prophets, all the stories of the Old Testament had been pointing to. And he had been waiting for this moment for a very, very long time. And Simeon had a promise from the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see death until this had passed, until he saw the Messiah. I want you to hear again what it is that Simeon says when he lays eyes on Jesus. So look at verse 29 through 32. Verse 29 through 32. It says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation, a light for Gentiles and a glory for your people. And, and what, what Simeon really understood about this Messiah and what really makes this like, really special is that this Messiah to come wasn't only for his people. It wasn't only for the Jewish or the Israelite people. It was for the Gentiles. And me and you, as, as Gentiles, you would, would ought to be very thankful that this is true. That this is true, that this Messiah came not just for his people, but for, for all people. And Simeon, knowing this truth, knowing this promise from the Holy Spirit, he says, now I can depart in peace. Basically, he says, I can, I can die now and I'll be, I'll be in peace because I have seen Jesus. He says, I've seen all that I need to see. And that's a picture of faith. And what that faith led Simeon to do for his entire life was to eagerly wait for the Christ, to eagerly wait for Jesus to come. I want you to think back to that thing we talked about at the very beginning, this thing that you would wait for, that you would long for, that you would hope for. And when you believe that it, that it can happen, you begin to wait eagerly for it. It's not not casual, like it's eagerly waiting. Like with a new child, like with Harper coming, like we weren't just like every once in a while, like, oh yeah, aren't we having a baby? 
It was, we eagerly waited for that to happen. We knew that was, was coming, and so we waited eagerly. And like Simeon, we are also waiting for the coming of Christ, but this time differently. This time differently. We wait for what Christ would, for him to come again. Look at what Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 through 28 said, says. It says, and just as, it, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So in his, in his first coming, like what we celebrate at Advent, is that Jesus would come to gather a people to himself, and that he would also come to die for our sin, to deal with our sin on the cross. And that first part, that gathering people to himself, he's been doing that ever since. Like what he did on earth, the church continues that in that gathering of people until he returns. But then when he returns, when he returns, he will come to bring those people to himself and to make all things new. To make all things new. That second coming, that is our ultimate hope. Like that's what we as this era believer, New Testament era believers would long for, would wait for. And for that, like, we join Simeon in that waiting, that eager waiting like, for what Christ would do when he returns. We talked a little bit about this at youth this last week in the context of, of mental illness and illness in general. And what we talked about is how in the here and now, the thing that Jesus like, really promises to do is to heal us from our sin. Like He promises to, to give us righteousness and to take our sin. And sometimes God would heal us of other afflictions. And when he does, he does so, he could do so miraculously or he would do so through ordinary means. And so sometimes he would, he would heal us from, from ordinary illnesses and maybe even like depression or maybe even like sickness and disease. And God would, would heal us in some, and sometimes. But, a, but sometimes for his own glory's sake, he won't. And we talked about Paul and how Paul with a thorn in his flesh begged God to remove it. But God said this, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so what we learn from, from Paul's example is that if this is true, like if what Jesus came to do is ultimately to deal with our sin, and, and he's going to sustain us through everything else, then, then if that's true, then our hope isn't in the here and now. It's not here in what this physical place would have for us, but our hope is in Christ, in an eternal Perspective where Christ would make all things, our bodies and our minds, new. And because this is true, like we long for Christ's second coming. Because this is true, we would wait eagerly for it. You see, what Simeon sees in Israel is that something is broken. He sees in Israel that something is wrong. And because something is wrong, then he waited for something to fix it. He's waiting for the redemption of Israel through this Messiah. I used to, to struggle with this concept of faith, like this eagerly waiting concept of faith. Like, because I grew up in a pretty privileged way. Like, I grew up in a, in a house that was easy and, and, and fun and got to play sports and do fun things. And even now, like, I would tell you, like, I feel like I have a relatively good and easy life. So I would struggle with this idea of this waiting and longing. I'm like, I feel like things are pretty good. But that begins to change as you begin to see other people's perspectives. Right? As we begin to look at at what other people might be going through as well. And this changed big for me when my parents started fostering. My parents started fostering, and you begin to see a lot of, like, brokenness. 
You begin to see a big picture of what, of what sin does in families and in lives and in people. Uh, her first two, their, their first two uh, foster kids were two brothers, Grayson and Aiden. And they kept them for a while. And got, you know, we saw a lot of, of hard in that, a lot of suffering in that, like with these boys who, uh, who had to be separated from their parents. But then after they were able to leave and go to their grandmother's house, their mom had another child, and my parents were then asked to foster that baby from the day that he came home from the hospital. And he came home from the hospital addicted, I'm not sure to what, but with addiction, and going through withdrawals. And to see a little baby who for no fault of their own like would be like wincing in pain and screeching like in pain, like that brings a different perspective to brokenness in this world. Like it's easy sometimes from our perspective to say, yeah, life's good. Like I feel really good about what's happening. But then when we view this perspective, this brokenness, then we can begin to, to with others, like long for this returning that Christ would, would do, that he would come again, that he would come and, and rescue people, like especially like, that God has a special heart for the vulnerable, for those who are, who are weak and unable, for, for babies like Daniel that my parents fostered. And that's just one example. Like you can think of many things that, that remind you of the brokenness and remembering that brokenness helps us remember what Christ came to do. It helps us remember like, why we would wait for Christ's second coming also. That we would look for him to come and to make all things new. So we, along with Simeon, along with Anna, like all faithful Jews, can experience a similar waiting and a longing for Jesus. We can look at Advent at his coming and his arrival and we can say, Lord, we too are waiting for your Advent. We too are waiting for your arrival and we can experience with them this anticipation of a coming Savior. And as we wait, we're, we're tasked. As we wait, we're tasked. And as we wait, would, would our faith during the waiting lead us to be obedient to God's word? Would it lead us to worship and proclaim? And would it lead us to wait eagerly for Christ's return? And don't hear me say, like, do these things to receive God, don't hear me say do these things so we can be right with God, but through faith and empowered by grace, in response to Advent, in response to Jesus' coming, we would grow in obedience and worship and, and proclamation and waiting. Like, that would be our goal, that we would do that through faith and empowered by grace, that we would grow in these things. Jesus, in his coming, in his arrival, lived in perfect obedience, in perfect worship, and perfect waiting as he trusted in God as he walked this earth. So we would do good to become more like Jesus through Jesus, through what he did, through how he empowers us through grace. Let us pray. Thanks again for tuning in. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook, at our website, or even in person right here in Troy. All information and links are in our description. Thank you and God bless.